0: So your nephew lives in Germany? Wow, that's exciting. (laughs) Never been there. I had an invitation to go from Dr. Gray um, when he was over there. We just never got to it. John chapter 13. Now, we've been dealing with the theme of one another. And uh, today our, our theme, our Message is going to be about loving one another. And in John 13, Jesus speaks about this. It says in uh, verses 31 through 35 Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whether I go, ye cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if ye have loved one to another. And let's pray. Father, Thank you again for the Sunday School Hour, and Lord, we thank you for the folks who take time to come out to the Sunday School. And Once again, we pray for your blessing as we look to this subject of one another. Help us today to see the need to love one another as we are. And then I pray for our Sunday School, for the teachers and the workers. I pray that you would use them to your praise and glory today to bring those lessons that you have for the, for the students And I pray for every student, uh, adults and children alike, that hearts and minds would be open and receptive to what's presented. If any come without Christ, I pray they'll get saved today. We know that's the most important decision we'll ever make in our life. And I pray that all in Jesus' precious and wonderful name. Amen. All right, let me get some air circulating up here. How many of you are too cold, too warm? We're good. All right. And uh, we had a beautiful day yesterday for our yard sale. Ah, just uh, that uh, not too hot, not too cold, just that fall air. And uh, we had a great yard sale. We got rid of a lot of stuff, and we donated a lot of stuff. Amen. Cleaned it out. Thank the Lord for it. Well, we've read this text, and we're dealing with loving one another. And, you know, think about how shallow our concept of love really is. It's shallow, and it's oftentimes a fleeting type thing. You know, we say, I love you, or I love this, I love that. We throw the word around very loosely. But there exists a profound and enduring kind of love and Christ talks about that here and set the example himself when he walked the earth. He is the highest example of love the world has ever known because of his life and his sacrifice. The very fact that he came, left heaven and came here to take on the body of a man and, to, and allow man to, to abuse him and finally crucify him. What a demonstration of love. As Christians, he calls on us now to emulate or to imitate that kind of love. Now, I've said before, and I'll run over it again in the Greek language, there are three words for love there's eros, E R O S, and that is the sexual kind of love, the physical kind of love. Then there is phileo, which is brotherly love. loving one another, that kind of thing. And then there there is agape love, and that's the love we're talking about, and that is a God-like kind of love. It's a love that's selfless, and it's a love that is unconditional. Those are two key things we need to keep in mind, selfless and unconditional. You know, so often we say we love people, uh, but then we find out something about them or they've done something or something about them bothers us and all of a sudden we decide we don't love them. No. True love is unconditional. I've preached on this and and let me say this. True love is really a decision. It's, it's Unilateral. It's a decision that a person makes that I'm going to love somebody. And it doesn't matter what that person is or does. I've chosen to love that person, and we ought to be that way. Well, maybe you've experienced a relationship that was short-lived. You realize later that the relationship was based on the wrong kind of love, based on a superficial kind. The truth is, emotional love wears off. You know, that's why we see our divorce rates, and, and this is, you know, it really blows your mind when you look into it. Our divorce rates for a long time were very high. Marriages weren't lasting. Well, the divorce rate has kind of fallen off. The reason being, people don't get married. They just fornicate and live together without the, the commitment of, of marriage. And uh, But listen, the truth is emotional love wears off. So many today get involved in relationships and, and experience an emotional type of love. And uh, a couple of years down the road, they're deciding they're not for each other because it wore off. But a true love doesn't wear off. There's a little story here about a husband had been to the hospital, had some surgery, and he was coming out of the anesthesia. And uh, his eyes fluttered open, and noticing his wife sitting beside him, he muttered, you are beautiful. Flattered, the wife continued the vigil. Later, the husband woke up again. He looked over at her, and he said, you sure are cute. She said, What happened to being beautiful? He said, Well, the drugs are wearing off. <laughs> That's terrible. Listen, love may be fleeting, but a Christ like love is a love that is forever. Hmm? In the first 12 chapters of John's Gospel, the author covers Jesus' earthly ministry. Then in the next seven chapters, he focuses on Jesus' final 24 hours on the earth. Jesus understood. Jesus knew that his death was imminent. He was soon going to undergo the terrible torture and bear the wrath of man's sin on the cross of Calvary. Despite the agony that lay before him, Jesus was still interested in investing in his disciples He gathered them into the upper room, and we studied this when we went through the book of John, and his final instructions gave them a new commandment. What is that new commandment? To love one another. In Luke 22, verses 10 through 12, uh, he said unto them, Behold, when you are entered into the city, there shall a man meet you bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he entereth in. And you shall say unto the good man of the house, the master saith unto thee, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he shall show you a large upper room furnished there, make ready. So we've read about and studied this Passover meal that Jesus had with his disciples uh, just prior to his crucifixion. And let's talk about the feast just a little bit. The Passover feast. Let me bring up the first. And... uh, the disciples gathered and they celebrated this. And, of course, that's a commemoration of what happened when the, Egypt, the, the uh, Israelites came out of Egypt. Remember how God said uh, to the Israelites that he was, he was going to come through that night and he was going to take the life of all the firstborn, of every creature. And he told the, the Jews to kill a, an innocent, perfect lamb and take the blood and sprinkle it on the doorpost and the lentil of their homes. And when he sees the blood, he's going to pass over. He's not going to bring death to their firstborn. And that's exactly what God did. And that night, all the firstborn of Egypt were taken. And, uh, of course, that's when Pharaoh finally said, Get out, go, get away from us, and we know the rest of the story. But I said that about the Passover because it signified the power of Jesus' blood to save us from our death and sin. Listen, there are people trying to get to heaven in so many different ways, but there is only one way. Jesus declared that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. His shed blood is what paid for our sins and allows us the opportunity and the privilege to be saved. And uh, he talks about that, and he demonstrates his love. Uh, and then we, we remember that Passover. Um, while they're having this meal, all of a sudden, Jesus gets up and he girded his, his loins, the Bible says. That means he tied up his loose-fitting clothing, and he took a towel and washed the disciples' feet. What a humble, humble demonstration that was. And when he did that, he's showing us the humility and the love uh, that we need to have for one another. Now you say, do I need to go washing people's feet? Uh, only if God tells you to. But you need to have that willing heart to do for others and, uh, and to love the Lord. So we see the washing of the disciples' feet and then the institution of the Last Supper. Finally, Jesus institutes the Last Supper. When we have the Lord's Supper, we do it in remembrance of him, and we do it in remembrance of what he, what he did that night, the night before his crucifixion, when he took the bread and broke it, and said, take, eat, when he took the cup and said, this, this cup is, is my blood in the New Testament. Drink it as often as you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. So we remember all that. So the first thing on our, on our paper today is the proclamation of Christ. In verses 31 through 33 of our text, that as the time of his death draws near, Jesus proclaims that he, the messianic son of man, is now glorified. And uh, we see his death. Jesus' glorification would begin with his death on the cross. In verse 33 of our text, Jesus tells his disciples, yet a little while am I with thee. So we see his death. He's telling his disciples, and boy, you know, he told them over and over again, And have you ever noticed how they never got it? As many times as he told them, the Son of Man must go and be, be killed and all these things, they just never, it never registered. And I say that because sometimes we read the Word of God and, and it just doesn't register. So we need to pray for guidance and direction as we read the Bible that God will speak to us and we'll understand. His death, his glorification, he said the Son of Man must be glorified. Well, that glorification begins with his death on the cross.
1: And then in verse
0: 33 of our text, he he tells his disciples, yet a little while am I with you. And after being with his disciples all the while, and performing many miracles with them, it was time for Jesus to go to the cross of Calvary. They didn't understand it, but he knew all about it. Warren Wisby, a preacher and writer, wrote this. From the human perspective, the death of Christ was a dastardly deed involving unspeakable suffering and humiliation. But from the divine perspective, it was the revelation of the glory of God. During this moment of Christ on the cross, the whole world would see that there was the Messiah who came to shed his blood for the sins of men so that they might be saved. And we know that Jesus offered himself as the covering for the sins of the whole world. When Jesus hung on that cross and and he came to that place when he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We believe that's that that particular instant when God had gathered up the sins of mankind from the past, the present, and the future and put them all on Jesus and, and his shed blood was to cleanse, uh, make it possible for us to be cleansed from our sin. He did that for us. Hmm. So we see that. Then we see the washing of the disciples' feet. And we talked about that. It's a, a sign of humiliation and service. In 1 John 2, 2, talking about the fact that he died for the sins of the whole world, it says, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. When, when the Bible says, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God is speaking about his love for every person. doesn't matter who they are, what they are, what they've done, what they're doing. God still loves them. And because he loves them, he made provision that they might have eternal life. And that life is in Jesus Christ. And all who will accept him can partake of that life. Isn't it amazing that even 2,000 years after the death of Christ, The cross still serves as a symbol of a glorious victory, not a defeat. When we see an empty cross, we're reminded that we're on the winning side because Christ has risen and is in heaven. And, you know, that's why we don't have a crucifix up here. We have an empty cross because Christ isn't still on the cross. He paid the sin debt once for all and forever. Then he was buried. Then he was resurrected to show the victory over sin and death. No other person has ever uh, raised himself out of the grave, but Jesus had the power to do it. He did it, and it's a testimony to who he is. We're reminded that we're on the winning side because Christ has risen and has gone to heaven. Well, every step Jesus took, he took that he might glorify the Father. He said in John 17, these words spake Jesus and lift up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy son that thy son also may glorify thee. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And that Jesus came with the purpose to glorify the father. He said he came not to do his own will, but the will of the father, which had sent him. Every step that he took, it was with the desire to glorify the father. And we need to think about that. How about our lives? Are we living our life to the glory of God? Are we trying to live our life to the glory of self? Hmm. We will not obey Christ's command to love one another if we're living for our own glory. We need to be living for the glory of God. And when you live for that, he will help you to love other people. So we see the proclamation of Christ Then we see the exhortation to the church. I got lost here somewhere. Hmm. Well, we see his death, we see his deity, and then the next thing we want to see is his exhortation to the church. As the time for his death on the cross drew near, Jesus had some final words for his disciples. And we see the command to love. The command to love. Before he left, before he went, Jesus said to his disciples, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. Now remember, he's talking to his disciples. They're they're Jews. They understand the law, and they understand the Ten Commandments. But Jesus says, I'm giving you a new law, a law to love one another. You know, it's interesting. If you look at the Ten Commandments, uh, Jesus said at other places, uh, when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, all thy strength. That's the great commandment. And he said the next great commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. Hmm? And if you look at the Ten Commandments, all ten of those commandments are are, are embodied in those two commandments. I think it's the first four show our our commitment to God and, and the next are our relationship to other people. The command to love. A new commandment. And we have to understand, I keep saying that word commandment, and when Jesus said we're to love one another, it was a command. It wasn't a suggestion. And he has the authority to say that. Loving one another is not an option. It's an imperative. That means if we're not loving one another like we should, we're being disobedient Christians. Hmm. You know, too often we think because, you know, we've dealt with the the liquor and the tobacco and and those kind of things. And, and, you know, the biggie sins that somehow we're okay. No, there's a whole lot more. And so often we disobey the Lord in some ways that we don't really want to acknowledge. This is one of those ways. I've been working on my doctor's degree, getting closer, thank the Lord. But we just did 1 John. And one of the the basic themes of 1 John is love and loving your brother. And John says, if we don't love our brother, then the love of God's not in us. Hmm. Well, Jesus wants wants us to follow the example he set in this thing of loving one another. Uh, John fifteen thirteen. greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And not only does he want us to love others the way he did, but he also wants us to have the right motivation for loving other people. We shouldn't love people for what they can do for us or what they can give us. We need to to have the right motivation. 2 Corinthians 5.14. For the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge. If one died for all, then we're all dead. What is our love towards others? Is it just a performance or is it something we do simply to check off our list? We ought to love others because the love of Christ flows through us. And that's really the, the only right motivation for loving other people. In Galatians 5, Paul writes this, For brethren ye have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And and Paul mentions liberty there, but understand this. It's mentioned, uh, but it's distinct from the world's concept concept of liberty or, or freedom. The liberty of the world today, the freedom the world looks at is uh, the freedom to pursue selfish interests. But God didn't give us liberty for that. He gave us liberty to love and serve him. Well, when God commands us to love one another, he demonstrates how to do it. So we see the command to love, then we see the demonstration of love. And in verse 34, Jesus told his disciples to love one another as I have loved you. The disciples are commanded to love others with the same standard and kind of love that Jesus had for them. Let me ask you a question. Can you love people the way Jesus loved people? You say, oh, no, I'm not Jesus. Well, listen, we have the Holy Spirit, and we just dealt with the gifts of the Holy Spirit uh, or the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and the first part of that fruit is mentioned is love. And if we're really in Christ, we have the ability to love other people like he did. We just need to practice it, and that's where we battle our flesh. Hmm. Jesus commanded the disciples to love one another after he had washed their feet. He's about to die on the cross for the sins of the world. And here he is, hours before giving his life as a sacrifice for sins, washing the feet of his disciples. And that is love. You know, that's an interesting story how Peter, you know, Peter always sticking his foot in his mouth. And uh, when the Lord's washing the disciples' feet, Peter speaks up and says, you're not going to wash my feet. Rejecting what Jesus wanted to do for him, feeling like he's not worthy that Jesus should wash his feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, then uh, I have no part in you. And so Peter said, well, don't just wash my feet, wash all of me. Hmm? Boy, to have a heart like that? He commanded the disciples to love one another. And Carson said, the disciple of Jesus will stand out in the world because of the divine quality of his love. That's how we make a difference in the world. That's how they see a difference. And Jesus told us that. We need to love uh, the demonstration of love. We need to love sacrificially. It costs Jesus something to love us cost him his life, cost him suffering on the cross of Calvary and shedding his blood. But he was willing to pay that for us. Why? Because he loves us. Well, why does he love us? Because he chose to. There's nothing in us that that, that merits God's love or Christ's love. The only reason we have their love is the Father decided to love us. 1 John three, sixteen, hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. I read this story and, and I've used it as a sermon illustration, but under the ruler of the rule of Oliver Cromwell, Lord Protector of England during the seventeenth century, a soldier was sentenced to death for his crimes. The soldier was to be executed at the ringing of the morning bells. When the time came, however, the bell did not sound. When they investigated to find out why the bell didn't didn't sound, they found the soldier's fiancée had climbed the bell tower and wrapped her body on the great clapper of the bell to prevent it from striking when the ropes were pulled. When she was brought before Cromwell to explain her actions, the weeping fiance showed him her bloodied hands, arms, and skull. Moved by her actions, Cromwell pardoned the soldier and said, your lover lover shall live because of your sacrifice. Curfew shall not ring tonight. Listen, that's that's sacrifice. And that's Christ-like sacrifice. Listen, the fact is this. We're all sentenced, if you will, to die at the sound of the judgment bell because of our sins. But we know Christ took our place and died on the cross. He delivered us from death that we might have a home in heaven. That's how much he loves us. He did it all for us. When you examine your life, do you see sacrificial love? Love in our families. Do we only love our children when they do right? when they're obedient, or do we love them all the time? What about our love toward our spouses? In Ephesians 5, 25, Christ commands husbands to love their wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Hmm. Love is more than just a feeling. True love is a decision. And then we need to love righteously. Now, God's love is sacrificial, but it's also righteous. God's love does not open the the floodgate of sin and and just allows us to sin any way we want to and live how we want to. When the woman caught in adultery was brought before Jesus, he forgave her. But he told her, go and sin no more. God, in his infinite wisdom, can love a sinner without condoning his sin. And we ought to be the same way. Similarly, as a church, we must embrace sinners but not their sins. Listen, we have the hot, hot topic that we're dealing with in homosexuality. We are dead set against it. It's unnatural. It's an abomination to God, and it will ruin a society. It's a cancer that will ruin a society. And so we're dead set against it. But we're not against homosexuals. We don't hate the people. We hate the sin. And we need to understand that. There was a big controversy this week. Uh, I saw President Bush went to a football game. I think it was football. And... uh, and he sat beside Ellen Degenerate or Degeneres, and and he talked with her and things, and people were up in arms. Why would he do that? Listen, he doesn't need to hate her, nor do we. But well, we need to hate the sin they're involved in. It's interesting. We need to love them and and uh, demonstrate that love, but. Watch this and notice this about the homosexual crowd. They they demonstrate wrath and anger towards us. Hmm? They want they want us to love them, but they don't want to love us. You say, Well, I'm not gonna love them. No, no, no. That's not being Christ-like. We love them in spite of it. And and there are other people that we, we could talk about where we need to. Hate the sin, but love the sinner. Have a burden for them. Why are these people that way? Because they don't know Christ. Hmm. So we need to love constantly and consistently. Aren't you glad God loves you constantly and consistently? (laughs) You never have to get up one day and wonder, does God still love me? In Romans 8, Paul writes, and it settles that issue of of his undying love for us. It says, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing can separate us from his love. We may have different backgrounds. We may have different pasts. But God loves us all the same, and he will never stop loving us. And see, that love he has for us ought to be a motivation for us to love other people. 1 Corinthians 13, charity suffereth long. And the word charity there is a, 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 the word translated to love, uh, translated as charity. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vauneth not itself, is not puffed up doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. That's agape kind of love, the love we're supposed to have, demonstrating Christ's love. In our flesh, loving others may seem like a very difficult task. And because of that, sometimes we balk at that. But God has given us the command to be in. The good thing is that God's commands come with his enablement. As I mentioned, uh, we have the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and uh, part of that fruit is loving, and God helps us to love other people like we're supposed to. But that's only as we yield to him and walk with him. Hmm? You know, you find the carnal Christian, the one who's not walking with the Lord and and yielding themselves to him, but rather they're living for their flesh, you're going to find they're not loving people. They don't love like they're supposed to love. You say, how do you know that? Well, they wouldn't be doing what they're doing if they did. Hmm. So we see the command to love, the demonstration of love. The next thing we want to see is the identification of of love, identification of love. Something amazing happens when we live out God's command to love one another. Verse 35 of our text tells us that people around us begin to identify us as Christ's disciples when they see the love we show one to another. Hmm. We know we're following God's commandment when love for others is evident in our lives. Uh, It needs to be evident, so we need to have an outward testimony of our love for other people. We develop our testimony based on the way we act. Listen, sometimes we think, well, well, people shouldn't judge me on how I act. Uh, You know, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, blah, 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 blah. That's true but the only only way you can demonstrate to other people that you have Christ in you is how you act. They can't see your heart. They can't know that you're saved. But when they see you living out the love of Christ to other people, they understand there's something different about you. Hmm? And a part of that, listen, a part of that is not retaliating when they try to hurt us. Hmm, not retaliating when they do us wrong. Hmm? I remember an instance when I was working at the can company and uh, a fella had, had railed on me and uh, just a very, very silly incident. And uh, he got real vocal on things and, and so just let it go. And it wasn't long after that. He, he called me up, and he needed a favor. He said, I need to trade shifts with you. He was on a different shift at that time. And uh, I need to have time off that I can do this or that or the next thing, and I could help him. He knew I could help him. So he called me and asked me. Now, I, I could have been in the flesh and said, after what you said to me, oh, the way you treated oh. But God enabled me to And I'm saying God enabled me, not my flesh, to help him and to say, okay, and do what I could do for him. Listen, sometimes it really gets hard to love other people like we're supposed to love them. Sometimes they're downright unlovable. Hmm? But we still have to depend on the Lord and look to the Lord that we might love them. Hmm? If you know Christ as your personal Savior and are following his example of love, you'll develop an outward testimony that reflects Christ. Here's a couple of passages that show a believer in Christ will take the lead in helping others when, he ha- when they see that they have a need. Listen carefully. This is one way to really demonstrate true love to other people, helping them when we see they have a need. When, when you do something for people and, and you don't do it for any reward, you don't do it for any money, you don't do it for any reason other than just loving them for Christ, it has an effect on them. See, they don't understand that kind of love. To them, doing something for somebody always has ulterior motives. Well No, we don't have ulterior motives. We're just doing what we're told to do. And uh, in John, 1 John, I said I just studied this epistle, but uh, in 1 John three seventeen and 18, and, and John writing about love, he says, but whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. How many times have I said, talk is cheap. Actions speak a whole lot louder than words. And John's bringing that out here. Let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Don't just say you love other people. Demonstrate it. James talks about it over in James chapter 2. He says, If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Hmm. How many of you know the name Leona Helmsley? I don't know who that is. Well, she was a billionaire, hotel owner. She died in 2007. When she died, she left her dog a $12 million trust fund for it to continue living a life of luxury. $12 million to a dog. She ordered that when her dog died, it was to be buried next to her in the Helmsley Mausoleum. The mausoleum was to be washed or steam cleaned at least once a year, and she had set aside $3 million for the upkeep of her mausoleum. Leona also left two of her grandchildren out of her will, saying that they knew the reasons why. We can tell that this woman truly loved her dog her treasure was where her heart is. So while she didn't love her grandchildren enough to leave them anything, she loved her dog enough. When we love God, we can love anyone regardless of the kind of person they are. Hmm? Regardless of the kind of person they are. I'm thinking about when I was at Faith Baptist Church. We had this fellow named George. My wife remembers George. George had mental issues, and uh, he was homeless. And he rode a bicycle all the time, all around our area. Everybody pretty much knew George. But he started coming to our church. Now, when George came, he didn't smell all that good because he didn't didn't have a place to stay. He slept he slept in. Uh, back then, gasoline stations often had outdoor bathrooms, or bathrooms you accessed access from outside. He knew a couple of those, those places where he could go and spend the night. Wherever he could find a decent place to spend the night, he would. So he didn't always smell so good or look so good. But you know, at Faith Baptist Church, the folks loved him. And so why didn't they help him? They tried to help him, he didn't want any help. <laughs> but they were willing and did what they could for him. It's not a matter of how a person dresses or what they look like or even what they've done or what they're doing. still need to love them. So it's a, an outward testimony. Then it's an ownership testimony. Christ tells us in verse 35 that when we love one another, the world will know that we're his disciples, that we belong to him. You know it's interesting. You don't have any trouble r- recognizing when a person loves a particular kind of music, or maybe a, a a sports team. You know they're 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 a fan of the Phillies or the Eagles or Giants or whoever it might be. When when somebody has a love for those kind of things, they talk about it. They'll they'll wear the jersey of their favorite team. Listen, just like that, the world will see we belong to Christ through our love one for another. That's the uniform we'll put on, and that's the proclamation we'll be making. People won't have a hard time figuring out there's something different about us. Hmm? If we truly love the Lord, we'll want to love others too and show that we're followers of Christ. Over in Mark chapter 12. Jesus said this, and Jesus answered him. The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbors thyself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Let me ask you something. Do you love your neighbor? Hmm? We're in a, a very different day in America from what many of us remember. We're in a day when most people don't even know their neighbors. See, some of us remember a time when, when there was community in America where people uh, knew each other and, and talked to each other and uh, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, I think it's a sad thing that sitting on the front porch has gone by the wayside. People used to sit on their porch and talk to their neighbors, you know, and, and that kind of thing and have fellowship. But that's that's kind of been set apart. And it's a sad thing because now we don't even know our neighbors and don't forget the Samaritan story where the fellow said, well, who's my neighbor? Your neighbor's that one that has a need. Hmm. What sets Christians apart from the world? Love does, and specifically our love for each other. You know, when we come to the church house, we should be loving one another. You say, well, oh, you know, brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so, this and that. No, 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 no. No. Nope. We're all just people and we all have our flaws. Hmm? We all have our issues. We all have our, our, our uh, eccentric ways. But we still need to love one another. Don't you want people to love you? It's interesting, if, if you ask it, Christians as they come through the door, uh, do you want people to love you today? I'm sure every one of them so absolutely. Well, then you need to love other people. Hmm? God's command for us to love one another is to show the world the love of Christ in us. When we love God, our natural desire is to obey his commands. Jesus Christ first showed us a perfect example of true love by dying for our sins. He then instructs us to follow in his footsteps. How? By loving one another sacrificially, righteously, constantly. You know, I mentioned we're going to have food for the needy. You say, oh, I don't know, you should do that. You know, these people aren't really needy, or whatever your opinion is, that you don't see any need to do that. But listen, we're trying to show people the love of Christ. And, you know, there have been times when we've given people food baskets at Thanksgiving, they've just broken down and wept. That we would be, be that loving. And people oftentimes don't even go to our church. Sometimes we don't even know them. We've never met them. But we're showing the love of Christ because somebody had a burden and wanted to see them get some food for Thanksgiving. So have a part in it. We're in our missions emphasis month. We're emphasizing missions this month. And we're going to be asking you to fill out your faith promise and commit to what you're going to do in the next year for missions. When you do that, you're showing sacrificial love. You're giving up money you can use somewhere else to further the gospel, get to lost people around the world. And that's a part of our love for other people. When we go out on Thursday night, soul winning, we're demonstrating love for other people. I never thought of it that way. Well, that's the way it is. We love them because God loves them, and God don't want anybody to die and go to hell. That's why he sent Jesus. That's why he made provision for us through the sacrifice of Christ on Calvary's cross that we might have eternal life, but somebody needs to go tell people, and we need to love people enough to go tell them, well, you know, I knocked on some doors, and some people weren't very kind. didn't answer the door, didn't want to talk. Listen, I didn't say there aren't negatives to going out soul winning. But why do we go? Because we're commanded to go and we're commanded to love other people. Aren't you glad somebody loved you enough to tell you about the Lord? Well, who's going to tell them? The love of Christ. One final thing. You know, we're, we're always concerned about people who don't know Christ as their Savior. But when we, when we deal with people, we need to let them know God loves them. Hmm? We need to start from there. God loves you, and God don't want you to die and go to hell. And you're a sinner. The Bible says we're all sinners. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're just sinners who do not deserve heaven, but the Bible says the wages of sin is death, and that's to miss heaven. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a gift. We don't earn it by going to church or getting baptized or doing doing good deeds or being benevolent. No, 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 it's a gift. We don't earn it. All we do is accept it. So today God holds out his, his gift of salvation to every man, woman, and child in this world. And he says, here, here's my son. He is your way of salvation. Will you receive him? And there's where the rub comes. A lot of people say, well, I, I don't want to receive Christ. And they'll die and go to hell. Not because God sent them there. They chose it by rejecting Christ. So, friend, if you've never accepted Christ today, you need to do that. And uh, we can help you with that if you just let us know that you have a desire to know how you can know Jesus as your Savior. Father, thank you once again for your word. Help us to be a people who do love one another like we should. Love one another in the church house, love one another outside the church house, so that we might love those around us. And love them all the way to Jesus. Help us to have that kind of a testimony. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Service will start in a few minutes. So your nephew lives in Germany? Wow, that's exciting. (laughs) Never been there. I had an invitation to go from Dr. Gray um, when he was over there. We just never got to it. John chapter 13. Now, we've been dealing with the theme of one another. And uh, today our, our theme, our message is going to be about loving one another. And in John 13, Jesus speaks about this says in uh, verses 31 through 35. Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself, and shall straightway glorify him. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me. And as I said unto the Jews, whether I go, ye cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. As I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. And let's pray. Father, thank you again for the Sunday school hour. And Lord, we thank you for the folks who take time to come out to the Sunday school once again, we pray for your blessing as we look to this subject of one another. Help us today to see the need to love one another as we are. And then I pray for our Sunday school, for the teachers and the workers. I pray that you would use them to your praise and glory today to bring those lessons that you have for the the students. And I pray for every student, uh, adults and children alike. That hearts and minds would be open and receptive to what's presented. If any come without Christ, I pray they'll get saved today. We know that's the most important decision we'll ever make in our life. And I pray into that all in Jesus' precious and wonderful name. Amen. All right, let me get some air circulating up here. How many of you are too cold? Too warm. We're good. All right. And uh, we had a beautiful day yesterday for our yard sale. Ah, just uh, that, uh, not too hot, not too cold, just that fall air. And uh, we had a great yard sale. We got rid of a lot of stuff, and we donated a lot of stuff. Amen. Cleaned it out. Thank the Lord for it. Well, we've read this text, and we're dealing with loving one another. And, you know, think about how shallow our concept of love really is. It's shallow, and it's oftentimes a fleeting type thing. You know, we say, I love you, or I love this, I love that. We throw the word around very loosely. But there exists a profound and enduring kind of love, and Christ talks about that here, and set the example himself when he walked the earth he is the highest example of love the world has ever known because of his life and his sacrifice the very fact that he came left heaven and came here take on the body of a man and to, and allow a man to to abuse him and finally crucify him what a demonstration of love as christians he calls on us now to emulate or to imitate that kind of love. Now, I've said before, and I'll run over it again, in the Greek language, there are three words for love. There's eros, E-R-O-S, and that is the sexual kind of love, the physical kind of love. Then there is phileo, which is brotherly love, um, loving one another, that kind of thing, and then there, there is agape love, and that's the love we're talking about, and that is a God-like kind of love. It's a love that's selfless, and it's a love that is unconditional. Those are two key things we need to keep in mind, selfless and unconditional. You know, so often we say we love people, uh, but then we find out something about them or they've done something or something about them bothers us, and all of a sudden we decide we don't love them. No. True love is unconditional. I've preached on this, and, and let me say this. True love is really a decision. It's it's Unilateral. It's a decision that a person makes that I'm going to love somebody. And it doesn't matter what that person is or does. I've chosen to love that person, and we ought to be that way. Well, maybe you've experienced a relationship that was short-lived. You realize later that the relationship was based on the wrong kind of love, based on a superficial kind. The truth is, emotional love wears off. You know, that's why we see our divorce rates, and, and this is, you know, it really blows your mind when you look into it. Our divorce rates for a long time were very high. Marriages weren't lasting. Well, the divorce rate has kind of fallen off. The reason being, people don't get married. They just fornicate and live together without the the commitment of, of marriage. And uh, But listen, the truth is, emotional love wears off. So many today get involved in relationships and, and experience an emotional type of love. And uh, a couple of years down the road, they're deciding they're not for each other because it wore off. But a true love doesn't wear off. There's a little story here about a husband had been to the hospital, had some surgery, and he was coming out of the anesthesia. And uh, his eyes fluttered open, and noticing his wife sitting beside him, he muttered, you are beautiful. Flattered, the wife continued the vigil. Later, the husband woke up again. He looked over at her, and he said, you sure are cute. She said, What happened to being beautiful? He said, Well, the drugs are wearing off. <laughs> That's terrible. Listen, love may be fleeting, but a Christ like love is a love that is forever. Hmm? In the first 12 chapters of John's Gospel, the author covers Jesus' earthly ministry. Then in the next seven chapters, he focuses on Jesus' final 24 hours on the earth. Jesus understood. Jesus knew that his death was imminent. He was soon going to undergo the terrible torture and bear the wrath of man's sin on the cross of Calvary. Despite the agony that lay before him, Jesus was still interested in investing in his disciples He gathered them into the upper room. And we studied this when we went through the book of John. And his final instructions gave them new commandment. What is that new commandment? To love one another. In Luke 22, verses 10 through 12, uh, he said unto them, Behold, when you are entered into the city, there shall a man meet you bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he entereth in. And ye shall say unto the good man of the house, The master saith unto thee, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he shall show you a large upper room furnished there, make ready. So we've read about and studied this Passover meal that Jesus had with his disciples uh, just prior to his crucifixion. And let's talk about the feast just a little bit. The Passover feast. Let me bring up the first. And... uh, the disciples gathered and they celebrated this. And, of course, that's a commemoration of what happened when the, Egypt, the, the uh, Israelites came out of Egypt. Remember how God said uh, to the Israelites that he was, he was going to come through that night and he was going to take the life of all the firstborn, of every creature. And he told the, the Jews to kill a, an innocent, perfect lamb and take the blood and sprinkle it on the doorposts and the lentil of their homes. And when he sees the blood, he's going to pass over. He's not going to bring death to their firstborn. And that's exactly what God did. And that night, all the firstborn of Egypt were taken. And, uh, of course, that's when Pharaoh finally said, Get out, go, get away from us, and we know the rest of the story. But I said that about the Passover because it signified the power of Jesus' blood to save us from our death and sin. Listen, there are people trying to get to heaven in so many different ways, but there is only one way. Jesus declared it, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. His shed blood is what paid for our sins and allows us the opportunity and the privilege to be saved. And uh, he talks about that, and he demonstrates his love. Uh, and then we, we remember that Passover. Um, while they're having this meal, all of a sudden, Jesus gets up and he his his loins, the Bible says. That means he tied up his loose-fitting clothing, and he took a towel and washed the disciples' feet. What a humble, humble demonstration that was. And when he did that, he's showing us the humility and the love uh, that we need to have for one another. Now you say, "Uh, do I need to go washing people's feet? Uh, Only if God tells you to. But you need to have that willing heart to do for others and, uh, and to love the Lord. So we see the washing of the disciples' feet and then the institution of the Last Supper. Finally, Jesus institutes the Last Supper. When we have the Lord's Supper, we do it in remembrance of him, and we do it in remembrance of what he, what he did that night, the night before his crucifixion, when he took the bread and broke it, and said, take, eat, when he took the cup and said, this, this cup is, is my blood in the New Testament. Drink it as often as you drink it. Do it in remembrance of me. So we remember all that. So the first thing on our, on our paper today is the proclamation of Christ. In verses 31 through 33 of our text, that as the time of his death draws near, Jesus proclaims that he, the messianic son of man, is now glorified. And uh, we see his death. Jesus' glorification would begin with his death on the cross. In verse 33 of our text, Jesus tells his disciples, yet a little while am I with thee. So we see his death. He's telling his disciples, and boy, you know, he told them over and over again, and have you ever noticed how they never got it? As many times as he told them, the Son of Man must go and be, be killed and all these things, they just never, it never registered. And I say that because sometimes we read the Word of God and, and it just doesn't register. So we need to pray for guidance and direction as we read the Bible that God will speak to us and we'll understand. His death, his glorification, he said the Son of Man must be glorified. Well, that glorification begins with his death on the cross. And then in verse 33 of our text, he he tells his disciples, yet a little while am I with you. And after being with his disciples all the while, and performing many miracles with them, it was time for Jesus to go to the cross of Calvary. They didn't understand it, but he knew all about it. Warren Wisby, a preacher and writer, wrote this. From the human perspective, the death of Christ was a dastardly deed involving unspeakable suffering and humiliation. But from the divine perspective, it was a revelation of the glory of God. During this moment of Christ on the cross, the whole world would see that there was the Messiah who came to shed his blood for the sins of men so that they might be saved. And we know that Jesus offered himself as the covering for the sins of the whole world. When Jesus hung on that cross and and he came to that place when he cried out, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? We believe that's that that particular instant when God had gathered up the sins of mankind from the past, the present, and the future and put them all on Jesus and, and his shed blood was to cleanse, uh, make it possible for us to be cleansed from our sin. He did that for us. Hmm. So we see that. Then we see the washing of the disciples' feet, and we talked about that. It's a, a sign of humiliation and service. In First John 2, 2, talking about the fact that he died for the sins of the whole world, it says, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. When, when the Bible says, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God is speaking about his love for every person. Doesn't matter who they are, what they are, what they've done, what they're doing, God still loves them. And because he loves them, he made provision that they might have eternal life. And that life is in Jesus Christ, and all who will accept him can partake of that life. Isn't it amazing that even 2,000 years after the death of Christ, The cross still serves as a symbol of a glorious victory, not a defeat. When we see an empty cross, we're reminded that we're on the winning side because Christ has risen and is in heaven. And, you know, that's why we don't have a crucifix up here. We have an empty cross because Christ isn't still on the cross. He paid the sin debt once for all and forever. Then he was buried. Then he was resurrected to show the victory over sin and death. No other person has ever uh, raised himself out of the grave, but Jesus had the power to do it. He did it, and it's a testimony to who he is. We're reminded that we're on the winning side because Christ has risen and has gone to heaven. Well, every step Jesus took, he took that he might glorify the Father. He said in John 17, These words spake Jesus and lift up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy son that thy son also may glorify thee. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And that Jesus came with the purpose to glorify the father. He said he came not to do his own will, but the will of the father which had sent him. Every step that he took, it was with the desire to glorify the father. And we need to think about that. How about our lives? Are we living our life to the glory of God? Are we trying to live our life to the glory of self? Hmm. We will not obey Christ's command to love one another if we're living for our own glory. We need to be living for the glory of God. And when you live for that, he will help you to love other people. So we see the proclamation of Christ. Then we see the exhortation to the church. I got lost here somewhere. Hmm. Well, we see his death, we see his deity, and then the next thing we want to see is his exhortation to the church. As the time for his death on the cross drew near, Jesus had some final words for his disciples. And we see the command to love. The command to love. Before he left, before he went, Jesus said to his disciples, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. Now remember, he's talking to his disciples they're, they're they're Jews. They understand the law, and they understand the Ten Commandments. But Jesus says, I'm giving you a new law, a law to love one another. And you know, it's interesting. If you look at the Ten Commandments, uh, Jesus said to other places, uh, when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, all thy strength. That's the great commandment. And he said the next great commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. Hmm? And if you look at the Ten Commandments, all ten of those commandments are are, are embodied in those two commandments. I think it's the first four show our our commitment to God and, and the next are our relationship to other people. The command to love. A new commandment. And we have to understand, I keep saying that word commandment, and when Jesus said we're to love one another, it was a command. It wasn't a suggestion. And he has the authority to say that. Loving one another is not an option. It's an imperative. That means if we're not loving one another like we should, we're being disobedient Christians. Hmm. You know, too often we think because, you know, we've dealt with the, the liquor and the tobacco and, and those kind of things and, and, you know, the biggie sins that somehow we're okay. No, there, there's a whole lot more. And so often we disobey the Lord in some ways that we don't really want to acknowledge. This is one of those ways. I've been working on my doctor's degree, I'm getting closer. Thank the Lord. But we just did First John, and one of the the basic themes of First John is love, and loving your brother. And John says, if we don't love our brother, then the love of God's not in us. Hmm. Well, Jesus wants to, wants us to follow the example He set in this thing of loving one another. Uh, John fifteen thirteen. greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And not only does he want us to love others the way he did, but he also wants us to have the right motivation for loving other people. We shouldn't love people for what they can do for us or what they can give us. We need to to have the right motivation. 2 Corinthians 5.14. For the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge. If one died for all, then we're all dead. What is our love towards others? Is it just a performance or is it something we do simply to check off our list? We ought to love others because the love of Christ flows through us. And that's really the the only right motivation for loving other people. In Galatians 5, Paul writes this, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And, And Paul mentions liberty there, but understand this. It's mentioned, uh, but it's distinct from the world's concept concept of liberty or or freedom. The liberty of the world today, the freedom the world looks at is uh, the freedom to pursue selfish interests. But God didn't give us liberty for that. He gave us liberty to love and serve him. Well, when God commands us to love one another, he demonstrates how to do it. So we see the command to love, then we see the demonstration of love. And in verse 34, Jesus told his disciples to love one another as I have loved you. The disciples are commanded to love others with the same standard and kind of love that Jesus had for them. Let me ask you a question. Can you love people the way Jesus loved people? You say, oh, no, I'm not Jesus. Well, listen, we have the Holy Spirit, and we just dealt with the gifts of the Holy Spirit uh, or the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and the first part of that fruit is mentioned is love. And if we're really in Christ, we have the ability to love other people like he did. We just need to practice it, and that's where we battle our flesh. Hmm. Jesus commanded the disciples to love one another after he had washed their feet. He's about to die on the cross for the sins of the world. And here he is, hours before giving his life as a sacrifice for sins, washing the feet of his disciples, and that is love. You know, that's an interesting story how Peter, you know, Peter always sticking his foot in his mouth. And uh, when the Lord's washing the disciples' feet, Peter speaks up and says, you're not going to wash my feet. Rejecting what Jesus wanted to do for him, feeling like he's not worthy that Jesus should wash his feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, then uh, I have no part in you. And so Peter said, well, don't just wash my feet, wash all of me. Hmm? Boy, to have a heart like that? He commanded the disciples love one another. And Carson said, the disciple of Jesus will stand out in the world because of the divine quality of his love. That's how we make a difference in the world. That's how they see a difference. And Jesus told us that. We need to love uh, the demonstration of love. We need to love sacrificially. It costs Jesus something to love us cost him his life, cost him suffering on the cross of Calvary and shedding his blood, but he was willing to pay that for us. Why? Because he loves us. Why does he love us? Because he chose to. There's nothing in us that, that merits God's love or Christ's love. The only reason we have their love is the Father decided to love us. 1 John three sixteen. hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. I read this story and, and I've used it as a sermon illustration, but under the ruler of, rule of Oliver Cromwell, Lord Protector of England during the 17th century, a soldier was sentenced to death for his crimes. The soldier was to be executed at the ringing of the morning bells. When the time came, however, the bell did not sound. When they investigated to find out why the bell didn't didn't sound, they found the soldier's fiancée had climbed the bell tower and wrapped her body on the great clapper of the bell to prevent it from striking when the ropes were pulled. When she was brought before Cromwell to explain her actions, the weeping fiance showed him her bloodied hands, arms, and skull. Moved by her actions, Cromwell pardoned the soldier and said, your lover lover shall live because of your sacrifice. Curfew shall not ring tonight. Listen, that's that's sacrifice. And that's Christ-like sacrifice. Listen, the fact is this. We're all sentenced, if you will, to die at the sound of the judgment bell because of our sins. But we know Christ took our place and died on the cross. He delivered us from death that we might have a home in heaven. That's how much he loves us. He did it all for us. When you examine your life, do you see sacrificial love? Love in our families. Do we only love our children when they do right? When they're obedient, or do we love them all the time? What about our love toward our spouses? In Ephesians 5, 25, Christ commands husbands to love their wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Hmm. Love is more than just a feeling. True love is a decision. And then we need to love righteously. Now, God's love is sacrificial, but it's also righteous. God's love does not open the the floodgate of sin and and just allows us to sin any way we want to and live how we want to. When the woman caught in adultery was brought before Jesus, he forgave her. But he told her, go and sin no more. God, in his infinite wisdom, can love a sinner without condoning his sin. And we ought to be the same way. Similarly, as a church, we must embrace sinners, but not their sins. Listen, we have the hot, hot topic that we're dealing with in homosexuality. We are dead set against it. It's unnatural. It's an abomination to God. And it will ruin a society. It's a cancer that will ruin a society. And so we're dead set against it. But we're not against homosexuals. We don't hate the people. We hate the sin. And we need to understand that. There was a big controversy this week. Uh, I saw President Bush went to a football game. I think it was football. And... uh, and he sat beside Ellen Degenerate or Degeneres, and and he talked with her and things, and people were up in arms. Why would he do that? Listen, he doesn't need to hate her, nor do we. But well, we need to hate the sin they're involved in. It's interesting. We need to love them and and uh, demonstrate that love, but. Watch this and notice this about the homosexual crowd. They they demonstrate wrath and anger towards us. Hmm? They want they want us to love them, but they don't want to love us. You say, Well, I'm not gonna love them. No, no, no. That's not being Christ like. We love them in spite of it. And and there are other people that we, we could talk about where we need to. Hate the sin, but love the sinner. Have a burden for them. Why are these people that way? Because they don't know Christ. Hmm. So we need to love constantly and consistently. Aren't you glad God loves you constantly and consistently? <laughs> you never have to get up one day and wonder, does God still love me? In Romans 8, Paul writes, and it settles that issue of of his undying love for us. It says, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from his love. We may have different backgrounds. We may have different pasts. But God loves us all the same, and he will never stop loving us. And see, that love he has for us ought to be a motivation for us to love other people. 1 Corinthians 13, charity suffereth long. And the word charity there is a, 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 the word translated to love, uh, translated is charity. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vauneth not itself, is not puffed up doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. That's agape kind of love, the love we're supposed to have, demonstrating Christ's love. In our flesh, loving others may seem like a very difficult task. And because of that, sometimes we balk at that. But God has given us the command to obedient. The good thing is that God's commands come with his enablement. As I mentioned, uh, we have the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and uh, part of that fruit is loving, and God helps us to love other people like we're supposed to. But that's only as we yield to him and walk with him. Hmm? You know, you find the carnal Christian, the one who's not walking with the Lord and, and yielding themselves to him, but rather they're living for their flesh. You're going to find they're not loving people. They don't love like they're supposed to love. You say, how do you know that? Well, they wouldn't be doing what they're doing if they did. Hmm. So we see the command to love, the demonstration of love. The next thing we want to see is the identification of, of love, identification of love. Something amazing happens when we live out God's command to love one another. Verse 35 of our text tells us that people around us begin to identify us as Christ's disciples when they see the love we show one to another. Hmm. We know we're following God's commandment when love for others is evident in our lives. Uh, It needs to be evident, so we need to have an outward testimony of our love for other people. We develop our testimony based on the way we act. Listen, sometimes we think, well, well, people shouldn't judge me on how I act. Uh, You know, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, blah, 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 blah. That's true. But the the only way you can demonstrate to other people that you have Christ in you is how you act. They can't see your heart. They can't know that you're saved. But when they see you living out the love of Christ to other people, they understand there's something different about you. Hmm? And a part of that, listen, a part of that is not retaliating when they try to hurt us. Hmm not retaliating when they do us wrong. Hmm? I remember an instance when I was working at the Can Company and uh, a fella had, had railed on me and uh, just a very very silly incident and uh, he got real vocal on things and and so just let it go. And it wasn't long after that he, he called me up, and he needed a favor. He said, I need to trade shifts with you. He was on a different shift at that time. And uh, I need to have time off that I can do this or that or the next thing, and I could help him. He knew I could help him. So he called me and asked me. Now, I, I could have been in the flesh and said, after what you said to me, oh, the way you treated oh, but God enabled me to and I'm saying God enabled me, not my flesh, to help him and to say, okay, and do what I could do for him. Listen, sometimes it really gets hard to love other people like we're supposed to love them. Sometimes they're downright unlovable. Hmm? But we still have to depend on the Lord and look to the Lord that we might love them. Hmm. If you know Christ as your personal Savior and are following his example of love, you'll develop an outward testimony that reflects Christ. Here's a couple of passages that show a believer in Christ will take the lead in helping others when, he ha- when they see that they have a need. Listen carefully. This is one way to really demonstrate true love to other people, helping them when we see they have a need. When, when you do something for people and, and you don't do it for any reward, you don't do it for any money, you don't do it for any reason other than just loving them for Christ, it has an effect on them. See, they don't understand that kind of love. To them, doing something for somebody always has ulterior motives. Well, No, we don't have ulterior motives. We're just doing what we're told to do. And uh, in John, First John, I said I just studied this epistle, but uh, in First John three seventeen and eighteen, and and John writing about love, he says, "But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him?" My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. How many times have I said, talk is cheap. Actions speak a whole lot louder than words. And John's bringing that out here. Let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Don't just say you love other people. Demonstrate it. James talks about it over in James chapter 2. He says, if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Hmm. How many of you know the name Leona Helmsley? I don't know who that is. Well, she was a billionaire, hotel owner. She died in 2007. When she died, she left her dog a $12 million trust fund for it to continue living a life of luxury. $12 million to a dog. She ordered that when her dog died, it was to be buried next to her in the Helmsley Mausoleum. The mausoleum was to be washed or steam cleaned at least once a year, and she had set aside $3 million for the upkeep of her mausoleum. Leona also left two of her grandchildren out of her will, saying that they knew the reasons why. We can tell that this woman truly loved her dog. Her treasure was where her heart is. So while she didn't love her grandchildren enough to leave them anything, she loved her dog enough. When we love God, we can love anyone regardless of the kind of person they are. Hmm? Regardless of the kind of person they are. I'm thinking about when I was at Faith Baptist Church. We had this fellow named George. My wife remembers George. George had mental issues, and uh, he was homeless. And he rode a bicycle all the time, all around our area. Everybody pretty much knew George. But he started coming to our church. Now, when George came, he didn't smell all that good because he didn't didn't have a place to stay. He slept he slept in. Uh, Back then, gasoline stations often had outdoor bathrooms or bathrooms you accessed from outside. He knew a couple of those those places where he could go and spend the night. Wherever he could find a decent place to spend the night, he would. So he didn't always smell so good or look so good. But you know, at Faith Baptist Church, the folks loved him. They said, why didn't they help him? They tried to help him. He didn't want any help. (laughs) But they were willing and did what they could for him. It's not a matter of how a person dresses or what they look like or even what they've done or what they're doing. still need to love them. So it's an outward testimony. Then it's an ownership testimony. Christ tells us in verse 35 that when we love one another, the world will know that we're his disciples, that we belong to him. You know it's interesting. You don't have any trouble r- recognizing when a person loves a particular kind of music, or maybe a, a a sports team. You know they're 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 a fan of the Phillies or the Eagles or Giants or whoever it might be. When when somebody has a love for those kind of things, they talk about it. They'll they'll wear the jersey of their favorite team. Listen, just like that, the world will see we belong to Christ through our love one for another. That's the uniform we'll put on, and that's the proclamation we'll be making. People won't have a hard time figuring out there's something different about us. Hmm? If we truly love the Lord, we'll want to love others too and show that we're followers of Christ. Over in Mark chapter 12. Jesus said this, and Jesus answered him. The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love thy Lord thy, the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbours thyself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Let me ask you something. Do you love your neighbor? Hmm? We're in a a very different day in America from what many of us remember. We're in a day when most people don't even know their neighbors. See, some of us remember a time when, when there was community in America where people uh, knew each other and, and talked to each other and uh, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, I think it's a sad thing that sitting on the front porch has gone by the wayside. People used to sit on their porch and talk to their neighbors, you know, and, and that kind of thing and have fellowship. But that's, that's kind of been set apart. And it's a sad thing because now we don't even know our neighbors. Hmm? and don't forget the Samaritan story where the fellow said, well, who's my neighbor? Your neighbor's that one who has a need. Hmm. What sets Christians apart from the world? Love does, and specifically our love for each other. You know, when we come to the church house, We should be loving one another. You say, well, you know, brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so, this and that. No, 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 no. No. We're all just people and we all have our flaws. Hmm? We all have our issues. We all have our our, uh, eccentric ways. But we still need to love one another. Don't you want people to love you? It's interesting, if, if you ask Christians as they come through the door, uh, do you want people to love you today? I'm sure every one of them says, oh, absolutely. Well, then you need to love other people. Hmm? God's command for us to love one another is to show the world the love of Christ in us. When we love God, our natural desire is to obey his commands. Jesus Christ first showed us the perfect example of true love by dying for our sins. He then instructs us to follow in his footsteps. How? By loving one another sacrificially, righteously, constantly. You know, I mentioned we're going to have food for the needy. You say, oh, I don't know you should do that. You know, these people aren't really needy or whatever your opinion is. That You don't see any need to do that. But listen, we're trying to show people the love of Christ. And, you know, there have been times when we've given people food baskets at Thanksgiving. They've just broken down and wept. That we would be, be that loving. And people oftentimes don't even go to our church. Sometimes we don't even know them. We've never met them. But we're showing the love of Christ because somebody had a burden and wanted to see them get some food for Thanksgiving. So have a part in it. We're in our missions emphasis month. We're emphasizing missions this month. And we're going to be asking you to fill out your faith promise and commit to what you're going to do in the next year for missions. When you do that, you're showing sacrificial love. You're giving up money you can use somewhere else to further the gospel, get the lost people around the world. And that's a part of our love for other people. When we go out on Thursday night, soul winning, we're demonstrating love for other people. I never thought of it that way. Well, that's the way it is. We love them because God loves them, and God don't want anybody to die and go to hell. That's why he sent Jesus. That's why he made provision for us through the sacrifice of Christ on Calvary's cross that we might have eternal life. But somebody needs to go tell people, and we need to love people enough to go tell them, well, you know, I knocked on some doors and some people weren't very kind and didn't answer the door, didn't want to talk. Listen, I didn't say there aren't negatives to going out soul winning. But why do we go? Because we're commanded to go and we're commanded to love other people. Aren't you glad somebody loved you enough to tell you about the Lord? Well, who's going to tell them? The love of Christ. One final thing. You know, we're, we're always concerned about people who don't know Christ as their Savior. But when we, when we deal with people, we need to let them know God loves them. Hmm? We need to start from there. God loves you, and God don't want you to die and go to hell. And you're a sinner. The Bible says we're all sinners. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're just sinners who do not deserve heaven, but the Bible says the wages of sin is death, and that's to miss heaven. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a gift. We don't earn it by going to church or getting baptized or doing doing good deeds or being benevolent. No, 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 it's a gift. We don't earn it. All we do is accept it. So today God holds out his, his gift of salvation to every man, woman, and child in this world. And he says, here, here's my son. He is your way of salvation. Will you receive him? And there's where the rub comes. A lot of people say, well, I, I don't want to receive Christ. And they'll die and go to hell. Not because God sent them there. They chose it by rejecting Christ. So, friend, if you've never accepted Christ today, you need to do that. And uh, we can help you with that. if you Just let us know that you have a desire to know how you can know Jesus as your Savior. Father, thank you once again for your word. Help us to be a people who do love one another like we should. Love one another in the church house. Love one another outside the church house that we might love those around us and love them all the way to Jesus. Help us to have that kind of a testimony. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Your dismissed service will start in a few minutes.